Welcome to another episode of No Challenges Remaining. Once again, coming to you live from Indian Wells, not on site, back in our lodgings here. A toast to that, and more toasts, and clinking ice. Courtney mixes her ice and her drink very methodically before she drinks it. It's quite the skill, I must say. You were talking to me the other day, Courtney Nguyen, my co-host, I'm Ben Rothenberg. Hi. About... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I just Yankovic. I felt like really quiet, so I just wanted to make sure I announced my presence a la Yelena Yankovic. You mentioned that you would like thought you could be a bartender in another life. Or maybe even in this life. I don't know about another life. I think I could definitely do it in this life. The only problem is that I'm horribly antisocial. I hate people. Mm. So that seems to be two things that isn't so much, you know, great if you're a bartender because Customer service, yeah. Yeah, I do not and I hate drunk people. Drunk people are the worst. Maybe you shouldn't be a bartender. New I just want to, yeah, but then Ben suggested I should just be like one of those like bartenders at like a fancy restaurant where all your, your only job is to like the waiters put the orders in and you just mix the drink and then they bring them out. That I would totally be down with. Cool. I just don't want to talk to people. I feel like a lot of tennis players need that in non-alcoholic forms, which I don't know if that is as fun for you, but people who make all those weird looking things in those bottles. That doesn't look fun to me. Putting no. powder and water and shaking it up and down and then leaving it in tepid, like, temperature. Mm -hmm. That's not really a skill to me. Okay. I'd be happy to be corrected if it is. I don't think it is. But I'm pretty sure that's just science. Yeah. Like, you take a quarter cup of this, you add 40 ounces of that. Meh. You know what yes. else is not a science? Tennis. True. Well, this, no, that is... And also yeah. Pantene. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen it, there is a wonderful Saturday Night Live sketch that involves Ben and my favorite current Saturday Night Live cast member, Kate McKinnon, playing Salma Hayek in a Pantene commercial... That is just Penelope wonderful. Penelope Cruz. Oh, sorry. No, I'm sorry. You're right. Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she plays Penelope Cruz. But it's very funny. It was when Sofia Vergara was a host, and we may watch it, like, once a week. It's pretty good. It's great. We're on a, we have a pretty good McKinnon cycle of it. Uh, yeah. So that was a bit of an inside joke, and I apologize. Yeah. What is not a science, though, is tennis, because I'm looking at the four finalists from here last year, and they're all gone before the quarterfinals. That's pretty unusual. Uh, Caroline Wozniacki, last year's runner-up, went out today to Leanne Yankovic. Maria Sharapova, last year's women's winner, went out to Georgie a couple days ago. Camila Georgie. Rafael Nadal, last year's men's champ, went out to Dolgopolov yeah, a couple days ago as well. And Juan uh, Martín Del Potro went out before his first match with his wrist injury, his left wrist injury. So, yeah, a lot of kind of depleted, but at the same time, I think there's a, enough, not many, but enough interesting people in it, so it doesn't feel like the tournament's kind of dead. We could reach that tipping point at some point later on, but for right now, it seems like so far, okay, but definitely some rubble. Yeah, there's definitely some rubble. I mean, I see, I guess this should surprise no one who listens to this podcast, but I'm kind of in a weird way excited. Sure, totally. Um, simply because it's it's a, a nice opportunity for, for other players. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see... Um, we're recording this on Wednesday morning. It's twelve eleven a.m. So yeah. um, for Wednesday morning after a long, long Tuesday. Um, so I'm excited to see, you know, on the women's side, you know, whether Lena can, can hold up her end of the deal as a top seed and, and make it through. She had a scratchy, scratchy finish to a match uh, tonight. 11 match points. 11 match points. And it was just an insane game. Lasted 20 minutes, over 20 minutes, 11 match points, double faulted on four of them, had to issue five Hawkeye challenges, got three of them correct, yelled at an umpire, right? More than I've so. ever seen her yell at an umpire. She was, was a horrible call. Horrible call. And she was, like, not having it. The worst call. She said she's going to talk to the supervisor about it, actually. Um, but, yeah, so I'm excited to see what Lena does. I'm excited to see if Simona Halep can do something. So Sloane Stevens, could this be the tournament at which she finally makes a WTA final and wins one. Possible. It it's, it's open. It's it really is, open. It's open. Uh, yeah, Halep had a nice win today over Jeannie Bouchard, and Sloane Stevens has gotten through. Ivanovic was her biggest scalp so far here. Also took out Klebanova, who, quick shout out to Elisa Klebanova. Very cool to see her making fourth round 
when it was less than a year ago that she was playing qualies of futures without a ranking. Yeah. So good for her. Very really, good. I think she's been pretty under the radar considering how much attention she's kind of gotten. Well, she hasn't gotten that much attention, but considering people are happy for her, she's been fairly under the radar, which I think has a lot to do, honestly, with her being Russian. Um, you look at something like a Ross Hutchins, who's gotten a lot of coverage because he's British and had the same pretty much scenario. He wasn't out for quite as long. Uh, not that these things need to be compared or measured against each other, but I think it's been interesting that she's uh, doing it relatively quietly. But the main results that have not been quiet were these big upsets we had here. We're going to talk about the main three or four. One of them was not really an upset, but I think it was a remarkable match. We're going to start with the big men's up upset. Defending champ Rafael Nadal going out in a wild finish to this match against Alexander Dolgopolov, doing big things for Ukraine when their attention is elsewhere, but they're probably happy to have him doing them all the same. What did you make, Courtney, of Dolgopolov knocking out Nadal in the third round? And a draw we said was tough and proved to be. It's exactly. Tough and proved to be is, is exactly right. And I think that when I wrote my, my pre-match uh, or pre-tournament preview, I said, you know, look at all these, you know, Rafa's got a minefield. He has all these very dangerous names. Would I pick Rafa to lose to any of them? I would not. But we all know the talent that these these guys have. And so uh, Dolgopolov is definitely one of those guys, a guy who um, has had the biggest rise in the ATP rankings in the top 50 um, since the end of 2013 until now, rising 26 spots, I believe. Good stat. No problem. Um, and uh, and on a roll, you know, playing very good tennis over the course of his last two tournaments. Made the final down in Sao Paulo, I believe, or Rio, one of the Rio, two. Rio, lost in a yeah, doll there. Lost yeah. in a doll there. Um, played pretty well in Acapulco as well. So, uh, so very nice run for him. But I guess what was really surprising to me from the Dolgo Nadal match was not so much that Rafa lost because we know that early in tournaments, especially after you know a bit of a layoff, um, you know this court can be a little bit tricky. That uh, you know he's vulnerable and more vulnerable then than he is three or four rounds later. But what was surprising was that Dolgopolov won because when he he broke and he served for the match. He was up five two in the third. Right, and he served for the match in um, the final set. And he proceeded to lose eight straight points, nine straight points, I believe, to both get broken back and then to let Rafa hold. And he was also down at the tiebreaker as well. Four um, two, I think. Yeah, and so and for him to kind of steal himself and uh, play some really, really great tennis, we know just how athletic he is and what a great shot maker he is. He's an exciting He's player. So fun to watch. So fun to watch, and so definitely one of those kind of young-ish players that often we overlook in draws simply because at some point we need for them to prove that they can win big titles. And, and consistently. And be, yeah, consistently. And, yeah. Um, so very nice win for him. Happy to see that. Um, and with Rafa, I don't know. I mean, I just kind of shrug at the result. I, don't, I really don't think there's much to read into it. No, I, I think he's, he's just saying he when he got here, he didn't he wasn't clicking on his strokes. He never entirely... He didn't say the conditions were tough here because he said at some other point these are perfect playing conditions. But at the same time... He never looked like himself. He was never totally comfortable. We've seen that with a lot of the top guys have been really scratchy here. I mean, Andy Murray has done some unbelievably ugly things on the tennis court this week. He's still in this tournament as of now. But his match against Yuri Vesely, good God. That was one of the ugliest matches ever committed. I say committed like it was a crime <laughs> on, on the ATP Tour. I mean... That thing was awful. It was awful. And we've really seen that through, I mean, both the men's and women's side through the first, you know, week or so of this event. The tennis has not been good. I was wondering that, is that always the case in anyone else? Someone asked that. I'm trying to think. It's like, it's, I feel like it's kind of always a little bit messy here. I think it is. It, yeah. I think it is. That's been my recollection. It's always been pretty messy. It hasn't really yielded too many, like, uber memorable, you know, matches early on in the draws. Even compared to Miami, like, yeah. historically. Yeah, and I think that a lot of it has to do with its placement in the calendar and the conditions. I think that it's very difficult um, to go. Some of these top players have, you know, they didn't go and play the Acapulcos and the, you know, some of them skipped the Middle East. Some of them skipped the whole Golden Swing, and they came in a little bit colder than they might into other normal Masters tournaments. I think this is the placement of this Masters in, uh, specifically, um, and a bit maybe Shanghai a little bit as well, but um, usually they come after you know somewhat long layoffs for the top players if they want them. Um, and then on top of that, the conditions here are not you know easy. Um, they can be really breezy, it can be windy, the changes from hour to hour you know in terms of the temperature and plays different at night and day so all of that it's it's a lot of x factors to throw at these players no matter how good they are so it hasn't been 
the best tennis. I mean, even, even Roger Federer, who's gone through, I think, in straight sets in both of his opening matches, has had his little hiccups um, in closing both of those matches out. Novak Djokovic got taken to three sets today by Alejandro Gonzalez, which was like, huh? Yeah. Who? Why? What? Um, you know, really yeah. just a, a lack of focus, you know, in the middle. So there's there's been a little bit of that, and, and we saw some of the rustiness, I think, with Rafa. We saw it with um, with uh, Sharap- Sharapova as well. One um, person who I think has been really good just sticking to the men is Vavrinka. Obviously, it's early, and he has a tough draw ahead of him, potentially having to play Federer quarters, his double partner here, and then Murray semis, potentially. So Vavrinka has been very sharp. He lost only two games to Sefi which is weird. Um, he's been good. Federer's been better than the other guy, oh, yeah. top guys. Federer's been good. I'm just Federer's saying that he fine. hasn't been like, you know. No, he hasn't been super tested. Yeah. Isner has been himself. He's in, he's the highest seed left in this quarter um, because uh, Burdich lost to Batista who's been good, but had a third set tie break to beat Niemann. Golbus is around, beating Dimitrov in a fun one. So, I mean, Very fun match. I think that it's setting up for like a not bad finish. I think it's, the draw is relatively soft in the right places where it's going to not be lopsided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it'll be okay. I think we could have a pretty good finish. We could still easily have, like, a Wawrinka, Djokovic, Federer, Djokovic final or something, or Murray versus Djokovic, and everyone be like, that was another exceptionally mm-hmm. top-heavy ATP Masters, like the good old days. Outside of the top ten, ATP top ten, so, okay. Uh-huh. Uh, Golbis Dimitrov, best current rivalry in tennis? Of the month. I mean, they hadn't no, played. but I mean, even even theoretically, they're an interesting. They're an interesting side by side because they are in sort of very similar places in sort of off the court perceptions in terms of just like they're both really fan favorite players who were very hyped for a long time and are now making good on that hype with results for the most part. And like I said, they have played now. They never played before, and they played each other in Rotterdam and Golbis won, and then they play each other in Acapulco, and Dimitrov won, and they play each other today in Indian Wells, and Golvis won, so... Three times in six weeks. Three times in six weeks is pretty, pretty frequent on the ATP Tour, and... And they've been good matches. And they've been all third sets, I believe, 7-5 in the third to the last two. I think it was straight sets in Rotterdam, but... The last two have been 7-5 in the third, at least. So, yeah, so it's been cool, and I hope they keep playing each other, because it's a fun rivalry, and the way their styles match up is pretty good. Golvis, despite all his eccentricities plays kind of a more straightforward attacking style and Dimitrov is a bit more stylistic on court so it's fun yeah and then elsewhere in the draw Djokovic hasn't had to do much Djokovic could be in trouble against Chilich. Chilich has been really sharp here and he has won two titles already this year I would not be shocked to see Chilich make the semis or even finalist tournament it could totally happen he could win this tournament why not Marin Chilich? yeah sure. totally you have Chilich, Halep win the titles and be like, casual fans would be like, wait, who? That would be, I mean, I, yeah, but I mean, yeah, th- that's always going to be the the uh, conflict. I mean, I, I assume that people who listen to our podcast are kind of hardcore. Are aware who Marin Chilich is. But no, but I mean, like yeah. hardcore tennis fans who kind of shun the whole, like, big four ATP, big three WTA, like, want to see, like, the lesser known players break through and... Things like that, but you know, at the same time, you can't like step out. You have to step outside of that and think. Like, remember, two thousand and ten, when Yelena Yankovic and Ivan Lubitsch won Indian Wells. The following year, the PR materials were sad. It was oh. like they like every year they normally put just the two defending champions on the pa- the pamphlet, and like the following year, I'm pretty sure they put Yankovic, Lubitsch, and then surrounded them by like Andy Roddick, Roger Federer. Like, it's kind of embarrassing. So, you know, and it's tough for ticket sales and things like that. But I think that a Halep win here is something tennis can sell. I think that, te- I think that tennis can sell it's Simona Halep. It's good big picture. Yeah, I think that good tennis can sell Simona Halep. I think that she has a game that, I mean, today, like, just even if we take a quick segue and talk about the Halep-Bouchard match today, a really interesting, obviously very highly anticipated match, I think, amongst tennis fans because... It's WTA Newcomer versus WTA Most Improved of last year. You know, solid results this year and all that sort of stuff. And I just couldn't help but be struck by how different aesthetically their games were. Totally. And it really put into stark relief um, the fact that, yes, I understand that Jeannie Bouchard is very pretty and, like, all these sorts of things that are completely off-court issues. But aesthetically, her game to me personally, is not... It's impressive what she can do with it, but in terms of the stroke production, 
it kind of is like it I just don't like it. It's not a little pleasing bit herky jerky. It's very herky jerky. It's very snatchy was the word that I kept using yeah. today watching it. Like just looks like especially on on her backhand that she's just snatching at the ball and then on her forehand she lets it get a little too close to her and she's kind of pushing it. I don't know, there's like a weird motion that it's just I don't really love to see whereas with Halop it's just like honey. It's just like every, it just moves and flows and there's a, a balance to it um, that just I like watching. So I don't know. I mean, I, I like their rivalry a lot. I mean, not rivalry, but like I, I would be I would be sad if this year didn't feature more Halep Bouchard matchups. I think you'll probably not be sad. I think they'll probably play again with how well they're playing now. Obviously, a lot of that is in draws because of speaking of like Nadal. Losing early, we thought we were going to get an Adal Murray match here, and we still, we won't, at Boo. least this week. We won't, and we won't have had one since 2011, which is pretty <clears throat> remarkable. Before we get to the two big upsets on the women's side, I wanted to ask you briefly about the match today between Yankovic and Wozniacki. Yes. Which was won 6-3, 6-1 by Yankovic, but I don't really think that does, the, the scoreline no. itself doesn't do justice to the beatdown was, that was really happening and, and bizarre to watch. I yeah, mean, I was, almost, almost uncomfortable. I was um, I was actually on BNP Paribas Open Radio calling, mm -hmm. uh, not calling that match, but doing commentary on that match. So I watched it from first point to last. And the thing about that match, 6-3, 6-1 scoreline, okay, whatever. It was one of the most lopsided losses that Caroline's taken in the last, like, four years or something like that, four or five years. And... Uh, all you need to know about this performance from Caroline Wozniacki is that she lost 10 straight games in this match to Yelena Yankovic. Caroline Wozniacki, first of all, shouldn't be losing 10 straight games ever. To anybody. To anyone. Her game is too solid for that. She's too good on defense to let that happen. She has an okay serve. Like, and really an okay not serve. a horrible serve. Not a horrible serve right. at all. But secondly, like, Yelena Yankovic. She wasn't playing Petra Kvitova on a good day where Petra Kvitova just, like, blasted through her defense. Or Serena. Or, or Serena or something like that. Like, against Yelena, you should be able to get into that match. And an injured Yelena Yankovic, arguably, if you were to believe what Yelena Yankovic were to tell you. <laughs> like, she is. What she told us in press is that she's suffering with a back injury that she injured in the first few points of her previous match against Magdalena Rabarkova. Um, that it's uh, inflammation, that it spasmed during the match. And she said that if the match were scheduled for yesterday, that she wouldn't have been able to play. But today, she wasn't sure. She warmed up very lightly um, and then took the court. And in the beginning, she was a bit tentative. She was kind of holding it uh, a little bit like <laughs> old woman Yelena, like Grandma Yelena. Like, all she was missing was a cane. And then all of a sudden, she ran all 10 straight games. And part of that was Yelena. She played very well. Nice, clean, smart match. But man alive, did Wozniacki just couldn't find the court. It was incredible. Peter Wozniacki came out down after 3-2. Yelena Yankovic broke back at 3-2. Peter came down. Woz didn't win again uh, another game until Peter came out again in the second set, so 10 games later. But, yeah, just bad news bears. That was just... A, uh, to me, that was a shocking result. Not that Caroline lost to JJ. That's not shocking. But 10 straight games. It's, it's a bit of a low watermark. I think that now Caroline... I believe with Sloan winning today, I think Caroline falls to number 17 in the rankings, which is a precipitous, it's a slow and steady fall. This is a big drop because she was defending finalist points here. It has to be outside of, that, that has to be what, like outside of the top 15 for the first time since I'm guessing 08. Like 08? Is that up. right? Yeah. 08. That makes sense. Yeah. Late 08. So, yeah. That's uh, really reflective of kind of what she's done here. I think that her ranking was probably a little higher than it deserved to be, just based on recent form. I mean, at the major, she hasn't done anything. Mm -hmm. Hasn't made a quarter since she lost number one ranking at a major. Yeah, Caroline needs to fix something, and I'm not sure what exactly the solution is. It has, but something needs to needs to be brought back to the drawing board because this was this was ugly. This was a wake up call type match, and she was not happy about it. Yeah, I mean, I think she she just needs to. Caroline needs to do a little bit of what I think a lot of people were begging on Ivanovic to do for a while in her her. Uh, kind of slump is that she needs to basically take ownership yep. of of these losses you know that it can't just be it's a process i'm working really hard my practice is going really good okay yeah i guess but it's not translating and unfortunately especially with with Wozniacki, there's are there were there were already so many um deficiencies in her game when she was number one that everybody was identifying and now she's slipped and it just seems like everybody's passed her by 
and I don't. I just don't know what's going on in her head. It's, I don't know what she's thinking. These it, days. it has to be. T- it's a tough sort of path she was going to navigate in a lot of ways. And not to say this, you know, she's not her fault on some level, but she rose to number one at a time when the top of the game was probably at its weakest in the last ten years, when the Williams sisters were both hurt. When Sharapova was rehabbing her shoulder and still not right back. When Azarenka hadn't emerged yet. When Lena really hadn't solidified herself yet. Kleisters was playing kind of part-time. Uh, well, really well, but kind of part-time. Svonareva was a number two who no one really thought was a slam-winning caliber player, even though she made two finals. Let alone a number two. <laughs> Let alone a number two. So, but I think Schiavone was top five for a while in there. I mean, just when Caroline was number one, it was not a high, not not a not the strongest time, and now, but she was still winning, winning a lot, and winning with tennis decisively, winning decisively and emphatically and consistently, and with tennis that people were saying, I don't think this is right, but it keeps working, <laughs> and so it's hard for her to say like, oh, my tennis sucks, I'm number one, and I win all these premier mandatory tournaments, but then she kind of decided at some point, or her coaches got it through to her that she needed to change. But that made her sort of abandon what worked for her. I don't know. It's tough. It's just tough. And I'm not exactly sure what the next step is for her. And there could it could get worse before it gets better. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I see it a little bit differently. I don't, I don't think that she did change. I think that she was very resistant and very defensive. Ha-ha, pun and not so much intended, but... Mildly intended. Um, but she was defensive when you brought up this idea of, like, there are problems in your game. You need to improve. Oh, totally. What about this and that? And just, you know, why don't you get a, new, a real coach instead of your dad and all these things. And she was defensive, and understandably so, because it was difficult to consistently, you know, at the time, write about her because you're, you're criticizing somebody who's at the top of the game. Yeah. You know, like, how can you, you know, and she's saying, yeah, my dad took me here. Like, why are you guys complaining? Like, clearly we know what we're doing. But the game has passed her by. It's been a continue. It's, it's been two things. It's She's not playing as well as she was playing back when she was number one. And then on top of that, the game is just moved on yeah you know and and it almost feels like azarenka was like like the new was in other words a counter you know kind of a, a good counter puncher but more offensive like all the things that you kind of wanted caroline to do and you felt like physically she could do because caroline she's not do. small no. she's not she's a strong athletic tall tall what is she like 511 yeah yeah she's a tall strong athletic athlete and who just wanted to run, and it just never made sense. Like, we don't, we're not yelling at, like, Sarah and Ronnie to, like, you know, you should be serving at 115 miles an hour consistently, and you should be, like, hitting your forehand for winners, because she's right. like, has some physical limitations in terms of that, but with Wozniacki, she just plays so small. Let's talk about another Italian who's small, but hits really hard, Camilla Giorgi, who is a qualifier here, weirdly, for someone who's made the second week of several slams at this point. Qualifier here and took out uh, Andre Pekovic first round, and then in the third round took out Maria Sharapova, the defending champion. What do you make? Let's start with Pova and then move on to Georgie. Uh, what did you make of Sharapova's loss and sort of where she's at right now? Because she, too, is slipping in the rankings out of the top five now. Yeah, out of the top five, which is a big drop for her. Still within to, the top eight. But... To be replaced in the top five, by the way, by either Halep or Yankovic. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, her loss to Georgie was surprising to me only because I was really impressed with her first match here, her win over Gerges, who couldn't get a ball in court, let's be fair. But, like, <laughs> but just I felt but like... you impressed. I was impressed because at least just watching Maria hit the ball... Um, in the, you know, four rallies that they had. Um, I was <laughs> impressed by the depth of her shot. I was impressed with her footwork. It was firing, um, and it was better than what I was expecting. So against Georgie, all of that went to shit, and uh, it was it was extremely a rusty, very rusty performance, a very nervous performance. Um, and But I liked what Maria had to say about it after the match, that she needs match play, that she can't replicate that. Um she was just like, you know, I don't know, her, her post-match comments I thought were very realistic. Um, yeah. They were, um, I don't know, it, there was a... Frustrated. Frustrated, that's what I liked, was that she was frustrated. You know, she, I asked her about, you know, to evaluate her, her um, how things are going with Sven. And she said, you know what, it's too early to really tell. And I've never really won immediately when I've got new coaches with Michael or with uh, Hogstedt or anyone else. Or Jimmy Connors. Or Jimmy Connors. <laughs> um, but 
uh, at the same time, she was like, but these are not the results I want. Yeah. And there's a weird, I don't know, it, that sounds like such a simple thing when I say it out loud like that. But no, at, like it, so few of no these tennis players that. will say that. Like, oh yeah, that was really shitty. Like players won't say that. They'll be like, you know, but you know, it's all, you know, the whole process. You know, like. Them to actually say I'm not satisfied with result was a really business-like, mm -hmm. straightforward, Sharapovian way to say like, it. Like I got my court, my fourth quarter uh, uh, revenue status. And they're too low. They're too low. It's unacceptable. Yeah. And this needs to change. Like that's pretty much like what it was like. Oh right, yeah, because nobody freaking says that. Especially like two, like I think it was maybe like two days before, and there was Sam, Sam Query had come into press after losing, and like he was pulling the whole like I don't think that I've underachieved in my career, and you know I think I'm doing pretty good, and you know that sort of thing. It's like come on, dude. Like again, it comes down to this whole idea of own it, own yeah. your wins. When you win, you get to go and you get to brag and you get to puff out your chest and be like the cock of the walk. And when you lose, own it. Sidebar to when you said cock of the walk. Sorry. I immediately thought of Fabio, Fabio Fanini. <laughs> and um, you had an interesting conversation with him uh, and, and within a press conference uh, with about Fabio Fanini with Flavia Panetta today. Can you explain what that was? Because I was very confused. <laughs> I think that I was very confused and clearly Flavia knew that I was very confused. But I asked Flavia Panetta who's awesome, and I just, we, I remember walking out of the press conference with Ben and being like, man, I miss Flavia Panetta and, Good like, peeps. talking to her. She's just so grounded and wise and smart and open, and it's great. But I asked her, I was like, oh, you're really good friends with Fabio Fanini? She said yes. And I was like, so is he as crazy as we think he is? Like, do you think that he's misunderstood, you know? And she basically was like, well, yeah, I mean, he's actually, what he is on court is very different from what he is off court, and sometimes when things get too much on the court, he reacts crazy, but off the court, he's actually an introvert, shy and an introvert. And I was like, huh? introverted? Fabio? And she kind of looks at me and she's just like, yes, exactly. See, you think, like, this is precisely what I'm saying. Like, people don't think that. And, and she like, sort of mocked his little Yeah, she did. Her, she popped out her chest. She's like, because he walks like this. And, you know, and it was, it was very funny. It was very kind of, I mean, it was very Flavia. Um... But she was a great interview today. She was good. Also, shout out to the, her compatriots, Roberta Vinci and Francesca Sivoni, who both won their first matches of the year here after being winless Yay. before that. Yay. Forza. But on to the Italian of the moment at this tournament, even though she lost today to Panetta. I think the one who we most talked about this week is one thing in Camilla Giorgi, who continues to make headlines of all kinds. Courtney, what do you make of Camilla's tournament on court and then off court. On court, it was. I, I mean, nothing we didn't expect. Yeah, no, I don't exactly. Think. I was I was working the radio stuff before Georgi's match with Sharapova, and there was like uh, somebody had implied, oh yeah, that should be a pretty straightforward match, and I was like, no, no. Like Camila Georgi is more than capable of upsetting Sharapova, and is has the exact game style that that uh, Sharapova can struggle with. You know, I mean, a, a great match from her. Um, but I thought it was interesting that after her match, Sharapova said, when it was asked to kind of evaluate Georgie's uh, uh, play, really focused on the consistency issue. And also that, like, you know, she was really erratic and sometimes her shots were on and then, like, you couldn't do anything about it. And then she would just go off for long periods. So, like, Sharapova said that she had a difficult time finding rhythm in that match to kind of get into gear. Yeah. And then Panetta today, when she was asked about Georgie as well, said similar things, like evaluating. She had a really great evaluation of, of Georgie's game and said, yeah, she's, like, too unpredictable, you know, and then she needs to realize she has great potential but that's all, you know, she needs to balance it. And she needs to know when to go for her shots and when not to go for her shots. So that seems to be the book on Georgie. Just uh, really unpredictable yeah. and um, a tough read. She's known for a long time. I mean, she made the first, second week of Wimbledon, or at least the third round of Wimbledon, for the first time a few years ago, and then did it again. And, yeah, she's been someone who's been a bit of a cult figure in a women's tennis fandom for a while now. And for her to still... <laughs> be this well-known and to still be a qualifier at this tournament, really, and have never really been, like, not like she went up and slipped, she's never really been top 50, I don't think, yet. Uh, for her to do that shows that clearly there are some uh, synapses that are not firing all the way in terms of her consistency. It's an underachievement. Yeah, I mean, like you were saying the other day, like, she is the highest, like, her, what, what were you saying? She is the player who is the most, most better than her ranking yeah. in the WTA, I guess. The differential the in terms of, like... 
actual talent and what she can do versus yeah. where her ranking is, which is like really messed up in tournaments, right? Because she basically she's a good player who's constantly going to go in unseated and bust up draws. Like Pekovic got her first. Yeah. Pekovic <clears throat> drew a qualifier first round yeah. and got Georgie and that's, lost in a tough three setter, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and that that's a tough draw for Pekko. Off court, I think there was some attention. Obviously, it was um, we were both there at the press conference she had after she beat Sharapova, which started off with all the sort of standard press conference questions. And I think that we've said, I think we've described George. Is it Georgie? Georgie? Georgie. Georgie. Uh, we've described her before as having pretty spotty language skills. Really? Which is an important thing to kind of this, like this lay is, out. This is very important for this comprehension of what went down here. Okay, Georgie speaks pretty, very hesitant, very halting English. That's not very enlightening always, let's say. And she, according to all the Italians I've spoken to, speaks not great Italian either. She speaks mostly Spanish with her family, and I've heard that her Spanish is also kind of a little bit strange, and speaks a little French, and just basically, linguistically, she's not one who's a great communicator, to put it that way. Her father, incidentally, is a much better English speaker than she is. But Camilla was asked about... Have we talked about it on the show? I don't think we have. Have we not really? I don't think we have. We Maybe not, not we because done, it... We haven't done that many shows okay, lately. Okay, all right. It's your outlet. Why don't you introduce the whole Camilla Georgie, uh, John Wertheim saga? Sure. For those um, of you who haven't read it, who should be very few of you hopefully by now. Right, yeah. Um, so John Wertheim, who is the head tennis uh, person, writer, dude, L. John, as we, as mm-hmm. many of us call him. Um, but John Wertheim for SportsIllustrated.com. Uh, the story actually might have been in the magazine as well, I don't recall, but um, published uh, in January, a story on Camilla Georgie, sorry. Right before the Australian Open. Right before the Australian Open, basically detailing a number of stories that he had been hearing from uh, basically unsatisfied investors, people who throughout the United States have invested in some way or shape or form in Georgie's career financially, uh, basically because her father and her would like come and, you know, train and then kind of convince people with cash, hey, you know, she needs 10000 or she needs 40000 to make it. And people who saw the talent that Georgie has that we just spoke about gave her the money. And it's a, it's a little bit unclear as to whether or not what the understanding was between the Georgies and the investors. That needs to be made clear. And, and, and John does make it clear in his article that, you know, whether or not it was meant to be paid back or anything. But Still um, murky. Yeah, still murky there. But basically, the Georgies have, the upshot mm-hmm. is they've kind of borrowed or ha- been given a lot of money and have made no overtures to kind of pay back or thank um, their investors. And their investors were, were a bit unhappy about that. People who, for better or worse, expected to get paid back. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so obviously that's been an issue for her at the Australian Open. She was asked about it extensively people were asking her about the article she was basically dodging the questions it should be said also in small non-transcripted press conferences correct yes and she basically gave the same answer that we'll tell you in a second um which is why at least i know for myself i don't ask her about it anymore because we've asked her it's done you know but not everybody was there and so she was asked about the article again so, yes, I mean, do you want me to just read the transcript or? Go for it. Okay. We can, we can, we can play the roles if you want. Okay, sure. You, you, can... you want to do that? Sure, can do. So a journalist within uh, the press room. Who I can say, because I asked him about this. Okay. It's fine saying who it is. Yeah. It's Bill Simons, who is a writer for Inside Tennis, who travels to a bunch of tournaments, actually, for Inside Tennis magazine, which I think is mostly a West Coast thing. Yeah, it's a, mainly a Northern California thing. But yeah. yeah. So he starts with his question. This is like the fourth or fifth question of the press conference after a bunch of how big a win was this for you kind of stuff. And then Bill starts off, probably the best win of your career with Wozniacki, the win at the U.S. Open, which is the start of the uh, Wertheim article, sidebar. Here. I'd like to ask you an honest question. One of our best journalists, John Wertheim, wrote that long piece about all the different investors that you owe. Mendy Wiggins, Aaron Godot, Alex Ramirez, Dominic Owen, Todd Andrews. You'll win $52,000 here. Do you think it would be appropriate to pay some of these people back? Actually, I don't want to talk about that. For me, just I'm playing a tournament, so I don't think about that. But you're a grown-up. You're, you're a 22-year-old woman. Everyone or many people know about this. Don't you think this would be appropriate to take accountability and deal with it? I deal with this. I don't have problems. But I'm just saying to you that I just want to talk about tennis, not this stuff. That's part of the game. It's not part of the game because this is a history that it's... 
I cannot say. I don't know how to say in English, but how you say in English? Moderator. <laughs> just stick to the tennis and... Wait a second. Let, let her put it in her own words. You don't have to coach her. She's a 22-year-old. Yeah, but you don't need to be aggressive. I'm just answering your question. If you want, I answer what you want. It's different. But I answer what I think is the best. And so basically that's it. But, and I should point out that Courtney's English is much more fluent than Camille George's. Yes. So what, she, what Courtney was doing there was much... There was so many pauses when Camilla was talking. A lot which, of which, hesitation. Which don't show up in the, in the text yeah, because they don't, they don't put like parentheses pause after right. every word. Because Camilla was really not saying anything. Even though Courtney might seem like a fairly... Anyway, you get it. Yeah. Camilla was much more halting and hesitant and shy and quiet and evasive. I think it's almost fair I to think say. evasive is very fair. Yeah. Because it's the exact same tone and almost precisely the same answer that, that she gave in... Um, in Australia, when she was asked I about it, I just want to it. talk about tennis. Yeah, she was yeah. I just want to talk about tennis. I don't want to talk about that. And then when she was pressed on it, it was a lot of like, "You want me to answer the way you want me to answer," but and she also attacked newspapers as a concept in Australia. Okay. She was like, you know, everything they put in newspapers is always just what's in the newspaper, and it's not true. Right. Which is a funny thing to say to a room full of reporters. Yeah. But anyway. But yeah. So I mean, it it wasn't surprising what she said. It was a bit of a more aggressive kind of Q&A. Yeah, so it wasn't a surprising like response and it was expected and I think that I spent most of the press conference kind of staring at my feet hoping that it all would end soon just because it was uncomfortable on many on, in many ways and simply because if I knew that she wasn't going to give you anything um, on it. But it's going to be a story that is going to follow her for, for quite some time until there is an adequate yeah. response. And that's you know? the thing that I think made it, in my opinion, Fair. Yeah, yeah, fair I thought it was fair. I just didn't. I just was like super awkward. I was like, oh. it is awkward, but it's it's you know, fair it's journalism for sure. It's, it's totally absolutely reporting. reporting. It's an unresolved story with a lot of substantial allegations for her and her father to answer. And a lot of people who are independently saying that um, she owes them, she and he, the family, the Georgies, owe them money. And uh, and it should be pointed yeah. out that John tried to track them down, tried to get a response from them, went through WTA, went through many different channels to try and give them an opportunity, the Georgies, to say to respond. Yeah. And they were, they didn't want to. And so same thing. It's like, we just want to know what... If we have... Here is a well-reported story. We would like for you to... Here's a platform. Tell us what you think is the actual story. And I feel like that aspect of the whole thing has been not given. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I think, but I also think, yeah, I also think that there's nothing wrong with bringing it up in a press conference. Like no. a bunch of people saying on Twitter, people who I will very clearly point out are not journalists and are her fans, and fans tend to side with the players on any sort of media versus player thing, which I understand because they are fans not of the media, but of players. That's what tennis fans are. I totally get that. They're saying like, oh, you should just be happy for her that she won and ask her about her oh, game. That's, that's not how not worst. how journalism works. That's the worst that's thing to say to a writer. That's not what it works at all. These are fair questions. It was nothing inappropriate. The tone was not as bad as it might come off in print. I think he was just sort of persistent more than aggressive. I don't think he was aggressive, I think, really. Uh, at one point, yeah. I think that he was aggressive. but okay. He was definitely dramatic when he was reading off the names and stuff. It, it was, was dramatic. It, it was, was too dramatic. much simply because it was like he was... I don't know. I felt like there was a little bit of like creating a record as opposed to just asking the question. Here's a girl that you can very clearly see throughout through the first five questions if you've never spoken to her has limited English skills. So then to ask her, don't you think you should take accountability? Like she doesn't know what accountability means. She has no idea. So if you actually want to know the answer to the question, you have to dumb down your question to make it very simple and to make it very direct. But I also think he wanted the question to be not easily avoided. You know, he wanted to make the question... Sure, but I think that that's piercing. more... I don't know. I mean, everybody has their own questioning We're happy to strategy hear whatever you guys and, like, whatever. But at the end of the day, I think Ben is Ben is absolutely right that there is, you know, obviously we're all on Twitter and I get emails and things like that um, via SI and stuff where people are extremely critical about certain questions that get asked and they feel like, oh, you're being mean or, like, whatever. And it's like, it's not being mean. Like, it's about, like, trying to get to the bottom of something and, and reporting. And doing and if you would And if you would apply, consider it this way, and this is the way that I always think about it when I try to do my job, is that, like, I don't think that sports is any different than politics. And if I was covering a political event or if I went in and, you know, was interviewing a senator, like, I wouldn't go in there as their champion. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to make them look good. I'm not trying to, like, I'm trying to get an answer to my question. 
and whatever that is. You're not trying to make them look bad. I'm not trying to make active. them look bad. Absolutely not. Make them look, like, not. look yeah, like what they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, the goal is that you're trying to get, at least I know for Ben and I, because we've talked about it before, like your goal in the press conference is to try and get that player to the, reveal themselves in whatever that form that is. And that's different for every single player, but it's not to go in there and be like, you're amazing. Please talk to about how amazing you are because we think you're amazing. And I've heard that form of question at so many freaking press conferences, it drives me insane. Insane. Especially Federer press conferences. No, I mean, no, I've, I've you know, I've heard it in many different types no, of press fair. conferences. That's you know, fair. I mean, even like, you know, like, you know, if you guys go back and read the Harrison press conference, it's a little bit of the same. Certain questions in that press conference are extremely, like, you're such a great competitor. Like, da 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 Yeah. You know, those sorts of, like, I'm like, I'm not in there to compliment that person. I'm not in there to, like, make them, I mean... Well, I'm not going to say I don't make go in there to make them feel better. Sometimes I do go in there to make the person feel better after losses, but that's usually when I'm not writing about the player, and I just kind of have a <laughs> s- sense of empathy. Like, yeah. So that was that was that that was interesting. And now Camilla lost to mm-hmm. Panetta, and there's no more for this tournament. And but... didn't follow it up. I'm sorry. Big nope. win. Don't follow it up. Don't care. And so, and I will say, so long as she and her or her father don't make some sort of statement, just put out a dang statement, and it would kind of. Be like, point to the statement, yep. it's over. They haven't done that. The ball remains in their court, and we're all like, oh, ball's in your court. And that's what's going to continue until it gets better addressed. So this won't be the last time it happens, because other reporters from other cities are going to see her for the first time. She's going to get another notable win, and it's going to keep happening. The last notable match for us that we're going to talk about here is the Davis Azarenka match that happened in the second round, which was um, something. Courtney? It was something. It was a big was pile of steaming something. I just okay. At this point, it's been a few days. Everybody few knows. Days. Everybody knows what the situation was. Victoria Azarenka came into this tournament severely undercooked. Had just uh, practiced just briefly, you know, before the tournament started had her foot immobilized effectively for for three weeks before that. In a boot. In a boot. You know, in her press conference, I think I discussed this in um, the previous podcast, it just seemed like she was just happy to be here, really was flying under the radar, wasn't really attracting too much attention, even with Red Foo around. We talked about it in the last episode. It was, she was very sort of low-key in her her all-access hour in that she was like, not putting a lot of pressure on herself. You could tell she was revealing her hand, not poker Mm -hmm. face at all, like, yeah, my foot hurts. Yeah, no. pretty much to the point where I not like her. Right, to the point where I wrote an entire post on SportsIllustrated.com, like where I was just like, "Don't expect anything from her. She's probably gonna lose early." You yeah. know, like taking that strong of a stance for somebody. Um, but anyway, so she takes the court against uh, American Lauren Davis, and uh, proceeds to play through a two-set match, where it was obviously clear that she had no business. Finishing that match, she should have retired early on, if not, you know, uh, taking the court at all. Yeah, that's the that's the basic question. Do you think she should have taken the court at all? I don't have a problem with her taking the court. I think that well, there, oh, I should back that up. Okay, two things. First of all, an important aspect or important answer that came out of her press conference is that she basically implied that she was ignoring medical device medical advice to play. You know, she was asked very directly whether or not she had received medical assurances that she couldn't further injure her foot. Um, if she were to play, and she said, I'm too stubborn for that. And that's just, like, the dumbest answer ever. Like, you have nerve damage in your foot. Like, saying that you're too stubborn to listen to doctors worries me. Now, having said that, I don't have a problem with her, because she said that, like, she wanted to test the foot, see kind of how it was going, because there were days where it was good, days where it was bad. So, okay, take the court, play, test it. But within the first three games... It was clear that she was in horrible pain. Yeah. At that point, you pull the ripcord, or you take it through the first set and you pull the ripcord then. But to go and play two full sets in that compromised position, with a lot of risk I of injuring understand. yourself further. Not only the injured part yeah. already, but the kind of way she was moving. Compensation injury looked very likely at mm-hmm. the way she was playing. Totally compromised. And also, what is the point if you're Victoria Azarenka? Of going out and getting bageled by Lauren Davis. And booed. Resoundly booed by a <coughs> extremely pro-American crowd, so that was part of it. But this crowd was not having any like sympathy whatsoever for her. She wasn't she didn't have a lot of goodwill. 
when she threw her racket in, in anger, there were even worse boos. People were like applauding her double faults. I mean, it was it's a very pro America crowd. It was a pro America crowd, but it was a little bit more than that. It was a bit anti Azarenka as well, is how I read it. She hasn't and been a fan favorite here no, she or did. anywhere. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, that's but just kind of how it is. No, but I mean, yeah, I, it just yeah. was awkward. It was an unpleasant experience to just watch. I don't think many people enjoyed that. And I just, for her, I kind of feel like Steve Tigner said it best in his write-up, which is she was fighting a fight she didn't need to fight. Completely. And I think once she got into that fight, I think because she did mention this in Indian, in Istanbul, that it's in her head a little bit, this notion of the stats that she has, which we've compiled, both of us, about how many retirements and pullouts she has had over the past two, three years. And they are huge numbers that she basically, on some sense, was a player who cried wolf at certain points. And maybe, and that's obviously maybe a little unfair because she is the one who knows her own body. But there were a lot of times where she would pull out of a match or a tournament and then immediately be back in the draw the next week and And win it. And win the next tournament. Happened more than twice. So for her now to try to be, to feel bruised by that criticism and try to prove herself, she was trying to prove something out there. She said in her press, you're like, I want to show myself, I want to learn something from this experience. I want to grow and show that I can do this. Like, it's just get it. it's just this level of sort of tone deafness when it comes to injuries that is, is damaging to her. She's just not getting... Literally damaging. Literally damaging to her. And we're not just saying, we're not being like, oh, we're going to say everything she does is wrong. She's just made wrong choices. Every, I mean, I did. I was, I was watching that match and I was sitting next to another tennis writer and we were just kind of both saying like, Every single time you think everybody's telling you, telling her, make a right, she makes a left. Yeah. I mean, she just, it's, it's you know, when it's she... It's in her personality. It is in her personality. She's very contrarian. She she doesn't appreciate, assum- she'll reject any assumption that you build into a question. And it's clearly, that's part of what has obviously fueled her in her career and gotten, it's been a, a strength on some level, a chip on her shoulder. That it's all this it's mindset good for is her. Great. It's brought it. The in terms of the her world, game. In terms of her game, yeah, in terms of her... Attitude on she court, she really feels like she has an edge that a lot of players lack, and she has that edge. And however she creates that edge, good for her. But in these injury circumstances, I think she's getting a lot of bad advice, or she's not listening to the right advice. I mean, when Sam Sumit came out, he didn't tell her to stop at 05 down. He said, you can walk away, or you can stay. And you're whining too much about your foot. It was, I thought that was a weird, weird It was advice super weird, him. and it, was, it really reminded me as to how kind of weird our sport is. And it's not particular to just, obviously, tennis. It's it's a golf, any individual sport, really, where the individual employs the coach. Yeah. You know, like, you know, like you talk about NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, general managers and coaches make personnel decisions. You're not going to play. Or yeah. you are going to play. Yeah. Or doctors help make that decision. Nope, you've been concussed. You're sitting out, you know, the next week or something. And in tennis, it's not that. It's the bottom line is that the player's going to do what the player wants to do. So maybe she's getting great advice and she's ignoring it, or maybe she's getting crappy advice and she's ignoring it. But the bottom line is that just like on the court, in a match, it all comes down to the player. And she needs to take responsibility and take care of her career. Because I do think that tennis is better when Victoria Azarenka is competing for the major titles. It's better when there's kind of that, even though she's a polarizing figure, that's good. You need that. You, you need, need the it. And you need the. You actually do. And Sharapova ain't challenging Serena for big titles. No. But Vika could. And it's not going to be Redvanska. And it's until Lena proves that she can, it's not her. Or Petra can't find a, a, a court. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's not going to be Petra. Um, it's not Sarah Ronnie. It's not, I mean, it maybe could be Elena Yankovic. Who knows? <laughs> but. You know, it's nobody else in the top 10. And so long as that threat does not exist, the WTA seems a bit weaker. So to see her on coming close to something that resembles self-sabotage is frustrating. Yeah. Because you want, tennis should want, women's tennis, tennis in general, should want Azarenka to be the best she can be. Right. And, and right now she's doing things that we think impair that possibility yeah and it's it's and and from a basic perspective i mean i remember this from istanbul when she had that match with uh with lena that was just horrible to watch just she was screaming out in pain she could barely move and it was awkward and quiet i mean the istanbul fans are a pretty raucous crowd and she just shut everybody up uh because it was just awkward and then for her afterwards to say 
not just that like the retirement, her retirement history was on her mind, but also that I wanted to, I didn't want to disappoint the fans. It's like, dude, that was not fun for anybody. You were not disappoint. You would not disappoint fans if you pulled out. There was a, there was a, I think Russian journalist there who was yeah, covering her ostensibly mm-hmm. and Sharapova. Oh no, Sharapova's out. So it's just Azarenka there. And he was saying like, before she came to press, he says like, I hope she doesn't say she did it for the fans because <laughs> the fans hated that. And then like immediately she said she did it for the fans. Anyway, probably enough on, on Azarenka, but that's how we feel. And we hope that if she's not ready for Miami, I hope she doesn't play. I hope, to, I, I mean, I will say this. I don't think that there's any way that she could be ready for Miami. I think that I would be happy if she just chills out. No the point next to defend time, there either. None. And I would just chill out. And, I mean, Vika will tell you whether or not it's true or not. But she will tell you to her, your face, she doesn't care about rankings. She doesn't care about things like that. She just wants to play well. Okay, then put your money where your mouth is. Sit it out. Wait. Come back in Madrid or Rome, um, you know, play through that kind of clay season and be ready for when the hard courts start in the summer and make a charge then. But this this sort of stuff, it's just not good for her. Or even or even get ready for like Stuttgart Rome, Paris. Right. Yeah. Right. Take your time. Take your time. It's not, no one will think the le- lesser of you. No one thinks you're faking this. No. You know what I mean? Like all of that fakery allegation that may have been like over other things. But no one thinks that she faked her injuries over the last year. No. I think they're legit. No, they totally are. And she should chill out. Agreed. So as we wrap up, just something we mentioned in the beginning of the show that I think just want to bring full circle because it kind of leads into my outro song choice. Courtney, what is it that you think makes Kate McKinnon so great? <laughs> her crazy eyes. Uh-huh. That's part of it. Kate McKinnon is amazing. She's an SNL actress. She's an SNL actress. a few years. Three or four, maybe now? Two uh, or three? Two four. or three, maybe. Um, she is my favorite, by far. And what I love about her is that she's able to just... She's kind of an old-school comedian. It's like an old-school, like, style of comedy. Yeah. But she just takes... She just commits so hard. hard. So so much commitment that you can't help but laugh. It's so good. So I think we're going to play it out with a song that she contributed to, among many other people, on the female Yay! cast of the show, which I know Courtney likes. I love it. I don't <laughs> listen to it as often as Ben, which is like super weird. Cause I don't listen to it that much. You say like all the time that you're listening, that you like love this song. I did it once. It. Okay, I tried listening to it in Russia and it was blocked and I was pissed. Mm. All I can say is things are weird with Aunt Jean. <laughs> That's the whole thing with Jean. <laughs> And it's a whole thing with us, and we're, it's, we're, it's a whole thing in our hearts. It means a lot that you listen to us, you guys, it does. so thanks. It does. And we'll be back to you soon for probably like a, a new rap type show. Exactly. We didn't want to prognosticate too much because, you know, things move pretty quickly out here in the desert yeah. with, with matches and things. But we're, I'm, I'm definitely excited to see how the final weekend pulls out. Should be fun. Bye, guys. Late. Back in town visiting my mom and dad.